Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360. I'm your moderator, Amanda Belby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. My guest today is Dr. Brian King, who is the Deputy Director for Research Translation at the Office on Smoking and Health at the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. He is also the senior official on the CDC's response to the e-cigarette or vaping product-related lung injury, or EVALI. Dr. King and his colleagues from the CDC recently conducted a study to better understand the prevalence of rehospitalization and death after discharge of patients with EVALI. Dr. King joins us today to discuss the findings of his team's study, as well as to discuss the current EVALI epidemic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. King. To start, can you give us an overview of your findings related to the prevalence of rehospitalization and death after discharge of patients with EVALI? Yeah, sure. So this study is, is one of several that we've released since this uh, outbreak uh, was first identified in, in August of 2019. Um, and since that time, as of January 7, 2020, we now have 2,602 cases of e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury across the country, as well as 57 deaths uh, in 27 states and in D.C. Um, we have seen a decline uh, in the cases uh, since uh, September of 2019, um, but they're still not at, at baseline levels and so it's important that we still remain vigilant. Uh, but importantly, the findings from this uh, recent study documented the importance of addressing the issue of rehospitalization of patients after discharge. And what this uh, study found was that among patients discharged on or before October 31st, uh, about 3% were rehospitalized after discharge, with a median of about four days uh, between discharge and rehospitalization. And we also found that, that seven of the deaths, about 13.5%, occurred after discharge with a median of about three days before discharge and death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And your team also identified the characteristics associated with EVALI patients who require hospitalization and those who die after discharge. Which characteristics did you find increased these risks? So some of the characteristics of the Avali patients uh, who were rehospitalized or died after hospital discharge uh, suggest that, that chronic medical conditions, including cardiac disease, uh, chronic pulmonary disease, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, as well as obstructive sleep apnea, as well as diabetes, uh, were risk factors that ultimately led to, to higher morbidity and mortality among some Avali patients. And we also did find that Avali patients who were rehospitalized or died after discharge were, were older. Uh, the, the median age of, of those individuals were 54, uh, 27, and 23 years, respectively, um, in terms of rehospitalization um, or, or died after discharge. And how can these rehospitalizations and deaths be avoided? In other words, what can healthcare providers do to reduce the rehospitalization and death rates? Yeah, so the bottom line from this particular study is really that a volley patient follow-up optimally has to occur within 48 hours after hospital discharge, and that can ultimately help minimize the risk for rehospitalization and death, especially among patients with chronic conditions. Uh, in addition, uh, interventions for volley patients, including things like intensive hospital discharge planning and, and optimized case management, might minimize risk for morbidity and mortality after a hospital discharge. And so this is uh, really important in the context of uh, rehospitalization and death 
death, but it's also critical that clinicians continue to underscore the overarching CDC recommendations uh, related to, to Ovali. Uh, we know that in terms of the available evidence that people should not be using e-cigarette or vaping products that contain THC, uh, particularly from informal sources, uh, such as uh, family and friends, or well as online and illicit dealers, and, and people also should modify uh, products uh, or add substances to them in a way that's not intended by the manufacturer. Uh, and although vitamin E acetate, which is a diluent found in THC-containing products, has been uh, strongly linked um, to Avali, um, we're still investigating the possibility of other potential causes, and, and therefore the, the best way um, for people to protect themselves from risk from Avali is to consider refraining from the use of, of all e-cigarette or vaping products while this con uh, investigation continues. Switching gears a little bit now, um, another recent study authored by Mai Hua and colleagues found that adverse health effects related to e-cigarettes and vaping have existed well before summer of 2019 when e-valley was formally recognized by the medical community. What are your thoughts on these new data? So these new data are really consistent with several other sources of information, um, including a New England Journal of Medicine article that the CDC uh, released in late December. And this demonstrates, uh, importantly, that Avali cases are on the decline uh, since about September of, of 2019. Um, but importantly, there has been a small minority of cases that have been occurring um, for quite some time, even before the, the peak and the current outbreak that we observed in June or, or July of 2019. And this also aligns with uh, some of the uh, ongoing evidence suggesting that there's uh, multiple substances that Avali patients are using. We know that most of them report using THC-containing e-cigarette or vaping products, uh, well over 80%, but there's still a minority of cases uh, who report using nicotine-containing products. And so it's ultimately important for us to remember that Avali uh, could have multi-factor etiology in terms of different uh, causative factors, and, and there could be potential that we've been seeing baseline levels of, of Avali or Avali like symptoms for uh, some time um, before this outbreak peak that we observed uh, this summer. And so it's ultimately important that we continue um, to investigate the variety of different e-cigarette or vaping products that patients are using, particularly those that contain THC, but also those um, that contain other types of substances, including nicotine. In your opinion, how do you see the future of tobacco in the United States? What has to be done to ensure public safety? Yeah, when in the context of talking about tobacco control, particularly in the context of e-cigarettes, it's important to uh, understand the different drivers that are influencing the, the use of various products. And when it comes to e-cigarettes, we really have a tale of two epidemics uh, in this country. The first is the epidemic of youth use of, of e-cigarettes. And, and this is something that has been occurring for many years. Um, data from the CDC has shown a meteoric increases in e-cigarette use among youth to the point in, in 2019, about 27.5% of U.S. high school students were current users of e-cigarettes, and that's compared to only about 3% among adults, so there's certainly a high burden of use of these products among youth. Uh, but it is important to note that the youth epidemic is primarily driven by nicotine-containing products, particularly newer PodMod-based products like Juul that are obtained from uh, commercial uh, outlets. And in contrast, this is different from the recent epidemic of e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury or Avali, um, which is a 
newer phenomenon where we saw marked upticks this summer and for which THC-containing products, particularly from informal sources, were responsible for the outbreak. And, and so the bottom line here is that these are both uh, urgent epidemics that warrant public health action, but the different efforts that we take to address them may be different. And, and when it comes to the youth epidemic, it's really implementing those proven evidence-based strategies that we know work to prevent tobacco use, particularly among kids, but modernizing them to reflect the products that kids are using. And so things at the population level like price increases, in, including e-cigarettes and smoke-free policies, mass media campaigns, youth access restrictions like increasing the age of sale to 21. Um, but on balance, clinicians also serve a role as well um, in terms of not only screening for all forms of tobacco product use, including e-cigarettes, but also warning patients about those risks and really integrating it into the course of clinical care. Similarly, when it comes to a volley, um, there's uh, key uh, interventions that can be taken um, by, by clinicians as well, and not only uh, screening uh, patients for our e-cigarette use and the diversity of products, but also the substances that are being used in these products and considering potential Lavalli and diagnosis as well as treatment. Uh, and so clinicians certainly play a key role, um, but in the end, you know, everyone plays a role when it comes to addressing the multiple epidemics of e-cigarette use in this country, and, and that has to occur at the, the national, state, as well as local level, but particularly the boots on the ground folks who are the first line of defense with patients in terms of identifying diseases, but also in treating them. Something else that comes to mind when talking about a valley in youth is the marketing for these vaping products. Um, originally, I mean, originally, I feel like e-cigarettes were originally marketed towards adults looking to quit combustion smoking. And here we are in 2020 with dangerous marketing strategies geared more toward youth who are younger than the legal age to buy combustion cigarettes. Where and when do you think the shift happened? And do you think it has contributed to the current epidemic? Yeah, so there, there's certainly been an evolution of, of the e-cigarette landscape since these products first entered the U.S. marketplace in 2007. Uh, these products primarily started as devices similar in size and shape to regular cigarettes, and then they evolved uh, similar to technologies like an iPhone where they got bigger um, with more functionality, and now they're becoming more sleeker and even resembling common-day devices such as USB flash drives, um, which can be particularly appealing to kids but also used in a concealed manner. Um, but with um, that evolution of the products. We've also seen a, a rapid um, uh, uptick in uh, promotional machines uh, behind these products. And, and when they first entered the U.S. market, there was a lot of discussion around the potential for these devices as, as harm reduction potential for adult smokers. And so we know that e-cigarette aerosol is, is markedly safer than regular cigarette smoke, but that also doesn't mean that it's safe. Uh, and moreover, if an adult smoker is going to benefit from they'd have to transition completely. Um, and right now, many adults who are using these products are, are dual users of both e-cigarettes and cigarettes, which doesn't convey any meaningful public health benefit. Um, and, and similarly, the, the evidence is, is not yet conclusive on the potential efficacy of e-cigarettes for cessation, and it's critical that we base our, our recommendations to the public, including from healthcare professionals, on, on the available evidence base. Um, and right now, e-cigarettes are not an FDA-approved cessation medication. But when it comes to the potential impact of these products on public health, you have to weigh benefits and risks. And so irrespective of any potential 
benefit of e-cigarettes among adult smokers that may realize um, if they're eventually proven to be effective at cessation, that can't come at the expense of the escalating rates of youth use that we're seeing in this country. Um, and we have seen unprecedented increases in youth use at levels that we've never seen for any other substance. And it's being driven by a variety of factors. Um, I like to sum it up like this. The, the advertising will lead a horse to water, the flavors will get him to drink, and the nicotine will keep him coming back for more. And when it comes to e-cigarettes, the advertising, 90% of U.S. youth report being exposed to e-cigarette advertising. Uh, the flavors, 70% of youth who are using these products report using flavors, many of which are, are kid-friendly appealing. Um, and then also the nicotine. It's very high levels of nicotine, and the products have evolved over time uh, to the point where there's a new type of nicotine formulation called nicotine salts, um, which entered the U.S. in 2015, primarily in Juul products that allow higher levels of nicotine to go down a lot easier. And, and that's very concerning to us from a public health standpoint, because we know nicotine is highly addictive. It can harm the developing adolescent brain, which continues to develop until young adulthood, and it can also prime the brain for addiction to other drugs. And so the, the youth epidemic is one of very concerning uh, aspects for the public health community. Um, but we also know that there's uh, acute risks related to e-cigarettes as well, and that includes the recent outbreak of, of lung injuries. And, and although it's THC-containing products primarily, it's still um, devices that are commonly used among kids. Uh, 20% of the Avali cases in the U.S. are youth that are, are younger than 18, um, and about uh, 80% are younger than age 35. And so it's certainly an issue of, of youth and young adults, um, but again, distinct from the, the youth e-cigarette epidemic, but we still see marked rates of, of THC use in these products as well, which is ultimately fueled um, that subsequent epidemic related to Avali. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Very well said. Thank you so much for speaking with us today and giving us your insight on this important topic. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure talking to you today.